and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does somebody shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. Welcome back to the Rose Garden Report podcast. I am Sean Hyken. Uh, great discussion today. Not really very Blazer heavy. As you know, as, as you know, the Blazers have kind of pulled the plug on their season and there's not really much to talk about with them. They're going to lose a lot of games in the last two weeks of the regular season. So, you know, that just kind of is what it is. Uh, Maybe we'll do something a little more Blazer-centric next week during the road trip, but I'm really excited because I've got my guy James Ham, who has been covering the Sacramento Kings for 13 years and has never covered the Kings in the playoffs in that time. And he he was at NBC Sports uh, California for a long time, but for the last year and a half or so, he's been doing the same thing I'm doing with Rose Garden Report uh, with his site, The King's Beat, which is like a similar subscription newsletter slash podcast type of deal. He's been doing a great job on that beat for a long time, and now he's doing it kind of in the independent way that I am. And so, you know, he's, a, he's he and I talk a lot just about kind of how to do that and, you know, different best practices and stuff. But he's also as plugged in with the Kings as anybody in that market and anybody covering that team is. So with the Blazers playing the Kings twice in the next couple of days, he was somebody that I wanted to get on. And we go through, we go through like some of it is about the current Kings team, but we also go through some of the, you know, chaos and the dysfunction that that franchise has dealt with over the years that he's been covering the team. And over the last 10 years, some of which involves Portland, like that legendary, last game of the 2019 season <laughs> like just you know we, we, we get into a lot of that kind of stuff it's a good time james is great uh remember as always you can find this podcast on all the usual platforms apple spotify youtube make sure you subscribe to the youtube channel even if you're not watching it on youtube subscribing still helps me and make sure you're subscribing to the rose garden report newsletter rosegardenreport.com free and paid subscriptions are available i've got a lot of stuff coming this off season for the paid subscribers Got a couple of trips planned for different things. I'm going to be in Chicago for the lottery. So if you want to help sustain that and help bring that type of coverage, I would encourage signing up for a paid subscription. But in the meantime, enjoy this conversation between me and James Ham. James, you've you've covered the Kings for how many years now? Uh, this is my 13th season. 13. So 2000, what, 9, 8? 2010-11 is my first year, uh, which was DeMarcus Cousins' first year. Yeah. And uh, my first head coach was Paul Westfall. Which is how many ago? Like ten, eight, nine? This is my ninth head coach. Yeah. Uh, Mike Brown is my, my my ninth head coach. So Let me see if I, I can name all of them. Okay. Uh, Paul Westfall, Keith Smart. Uh, was Michael Malone after Keith Smart? Yep. So that was Ty Corbin after that, because that, then there was like the Ty Corbin thing, the George Carl thing. That's five. Yep. And then, uh, yeah, and then and then uh, Jaeger 
Luke Walton, Alvin Gentry, Mike Brown. Yeah. Okay. I got. Wow. I got it. Good work. Dude, I, I remember. To, <laughs> I used to race Jason Thompson. Like how many? How many head coaches? I just remember there was a there was a, whatever year it was that uh, I think it was when he was still in Sacramento, but. Uh, but DeMarcus Cousins went on Bill Simmons' podcast one time and was, like, asked to name all of his head coaches, and he couldn't do it. Do you remember that? <laughs> that makes sense. Um, and, and I think it makes sense because DeMarcus uh, might even choose to not remember some of them. Um, so, you well, know. So. Were you traveling with the team when the whole Ty Corbin, George Carl thing happened? Because I remember in Chicago, like a week before the All-Star break, they had fired Michael Malone like earlier in the season, which was the only coach that DeMarcus Cousins ever got along with. So that was an interesting decision. And they, you know, named Ty Corbin the interim. And then they went to the step of saying, you know, not only like naming him interim, then like a week later, they actually sent out a press release saying that they were removing his interim tag and naming him the head coach. And they were in Chicago. This is when I was covering the Bulls, but like they were in Chicago and there was the report that they had a deal lined up with George Carl, and then, like, DeMarcus gave his statement to Woj saying, like, I didn't want this, I didn't sign up for this, I, you know, this is not fair to Ty Corbin. And then I remember Ty Corbin had to do his media availability before that game. And he was, like, having to act like, oh, yeah, nothing's going on, I'm not worried about it, when everybody in the world knew that, like, he was about to lose his job. I can tell you a an even more complicated version of that story. Please do. So he was, uh, Ty was an interim head coach. And um, I went to a source and said, you know, hey, like, is there a possibility for the interim tag to get pulled? And the answer was, uh, yeah, that happened like two weeks ago. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean that happened two weeks ago? Like, yeah, he's been named the head coach. He he actually has a contract through the end of this year and next year. I'm like, but not an interim? And they're like, no, not an interim. So I went to someone inside the Kings, and I said, hey, I have a source telling me that he's had his interim tag pulled. And the answer was, oh, no, no, that didn't happen. No, he, he's not. He's still the interim head coach. That hasn't happened. And I'm like, well, my source is really good. And they're telling me that the interim tag has been pulled and that he got a, a deal for all of this year and next season as well. Well, let me check, but I'm almost positive that's not the answer. 15 minutes later, um, all right, man. Uh, well, you got us. Like, yes, uh, he has been <laughs> upgraded. And uh, someone had decided not to tell anyone. So no one actually knew within the walls of the king's building that he had been promoted so nice uh yeah that was the dysfunctionality of the franchise at that time and um and so at the end of that season they were paying michael malone for another i think another two years they were paying ty corbin for another year and they were paying george carl they gave george carl a four-year deal uh, so they were paying all three of them. At the end of that season, George Carl got fired, and they hired um, Dave Yeager. And so there was a point where they were paying Malone. They weren't paying Corbin anymore, but they were playing Malone, Carl, and Yeager during the same season. And those are three actual head coaches with actual head coach salaries that, like, 
what was that probably like 15 20 million that they were put they were paying out between three coaches only one of whom actually worked for them i would say it was probably closer to like eight or nine million um i I don't know that like george carl got good money but he got like probably like three and a half four million dollars a year i think ty's salary was probably still like a budget salary a million and a half two million because it was always kind of with that that understanding that it's possible that they could go a different direction and then um and then dave yeager's salary which you know i don't think we ever really learned dave yeager's salary it's funny how coaches work like with luke walton we all knew he got like a four-year 20 million a little over 20 million right yeah. and then he, he front loaded the uh, and back loaded the deal so up front he didn't make as much money because they were still paying other coaches they're still paying jaeger for another year um and then uh and then at the end it was big so it was like six and a half million and so that's what they're paying that's what they're playing luke walton this season to not coach the team it's nice. one of the best jobs in in, in probably the world where you can make millions of dollars to work two and get paid for four. Oh yeah, Terry Stotts is still getting paid by the Blazers through the end of this season. Oh they yeah, fired him with two yeah. years left on his deal, and it is it is kind of funny how coaching salaries are not. And I don't I don't know I don't have a hard number on what Chauncey Billups is making. I know he got a five year deal, but I don't know the number. I have a decent idea of what it is, but I don't actually know it. Know it, but this is all a very long winded way to get to. You have covered the Kings. For 13 years, you have never covered the Kings in the playoffs in that time. That is about to change, possibly as soon as tomorrow. Because So they lose to Minnesota last night. They could have clinched. They come yep. to Portland Wednesday and Friday. They, I don't think there's any chance they don't win at least one of those two games. Probably both, because you saw what the Blazers have been doing with their lineups the last week or so. They're not playing anybody anymore. So, yeah, it's it's... Tomorrow or Friday, the Sacramento Kings are going to officially clinch a spot in the playoffs for the first time since you've been covering the team. Yeah, they very well could clinch today, too. If the Pelicans somehow beat the Warriors, the Kings would clinch uh, today. So uh, that's what we have to wake up every morning and see, like, what the NBA puts out. Uh, they have, like, this little graphic that they send oh, yeah. out. Like, this is the the clinch scenario for the evening. Um and I think it's interesting. The Kings could have clinched on Saturday, but they needed uh, both the Spurs and the Clippers to lose. That didn't happen. Uh, the Spurs won. I mean, not the Spurs, the Suns. The Suns and the Clippers. So the Suns won. The the Clippers lost. Um, and then they could have clinched last night. And again, it came down to uh, those two teams. If one of those two teams lost or the Kings won and the Kings chose violence uh, and didn't win again. <laughs> And now we get to this moment where it'll probably happen on an off day because that's the way, uh, you know, it's, it, it might be the way it should be. So I, I've covered plenty of playoffs uh, because I, I worked for NBC for a long time and I covered the Warriors all the way through their title runs, um, you know, three or four seasons. Uh, I was in the locker room when the Cavs beat them. Um, it was like me and Jamie Foxx and Usher hanging out, watching all of this wild stuff happening. Um, and then I was in the locker room when the Warriors won. Um, I was also in Toronto when Kevin Durant popped his Achilles. Uh, so yeah, I've covered a lot of playoffs, just not any Kings playoffs. Now that I re now that I think about it, I actually remember you covering that whole Warriors, the 2019 one, because that was the year that 
they played Portland in the Western Conference Finals, and I actually remember, you know, you, you they sent you up there, and you and I were talking for a while at that. I, I actually vividly remember this now. They now sent me up before uh, to cover to help with the Blazers, actually. So I actually went ahead and covered a round, like either the first or the second round of of the playoffs that year, and I skipped a continuation of Warriors coverage to go up and cover the Blazers. And then I continued Blazers coverage uh, as that's typically what I would do with NBC. I would cover the visiting locker room uh-huh. um, while we had Monty Pool and whoever else we had covering. I think it was Logan at that point still. Yeah, it's possibly. Yeah, Logan was there for like a year. Logan's been in Sacramento nonstop. Uh, Logan Murdoch, for those who are listening. Yeah. Um, he's been in Sacramento. He actually uh, grew up around us like when he was uh, super young, he would come into uh, – the, all all the games because his mom uh, worked at KFBK, which is a, a news station in Sacramento, mm-hmm. and he would come and collect sound. So he wouldn't ask questions, but he would be in uh, pre and post game. He'd be in the locker room. So we've known Logan for a long time, and it's been fun to watch Logan kind of grow. Uh, you know, he had his NBC job. Now he's with the Ringer. Uh, he's very eccentric. He dresses crazy. Oh he, yeah, oh, but yeah. he's a great kid. He's a great, great dude. dude. Yeah, and he's he's yeah. doing great stuff at the Ringer. That Jalen Brown piece he had about a week ago was really really good, and I thought that did a really good job of kind of capturing all the nuances of Jalen. So you have covered the playoffs before, but it's going to be a little bit different. First of all, the Kings are the team. Like, like I'm sure you know people in the Warriors organization, and you have a good pulse on that team. But that's not the team you cover every day and live and breathe every single day-to-day update and know everybody in that organization. That team that you cover in that way has never been in the playoffs while you've been covering. So so that's going to be a totally different thing to actually see that team not only in the playoffs, but it's not even going to be like a... You know, like Minnesota made the playoffs a year ago, and it was like, oh, that's cute. They made the playoffs. Everybody knew they were going to lose in the first round. This is more of a... Not only are they going to make the playoffs... Whether they're two or three or however it shakes out, they're going to be a top seed with home court advantage, and nobody's going to be surprised if they win a series. And, you know, especially with how the West is shaking out this year, where there's nobody that you look at and say, that's the team everybody's trying to beat. I would not be surprised to see a world. I don't think it's likely, but I wouldn't be stunned if the Kings were in the Western Conference Finals. So that's kind of, that's got to be kind of surreal going from, you know, the team that I cover is the biggest joke in the NBA and the most dysfunctional team in the NBA for 15 years. And now they're not only in the playoffs, but they actually have a chance to do something. Yeah, it's really weird because, you know, every time you go into a season, it's not like you just, you know that they're going to be horrible and right. that everything's going to be bad. I used to tell people, like, uh, there's a, a a guy who does stat keeping for the Kings, uh, for the NBA, but, like, he in Sacramento. Uh-huh. And, and every year we give our per- predictions to each other right and we say okay i think they're like this year i think i said i went high i think i said 43 wins and he was stunned (laughs) and um you know there are some numbers that i give out like when i talk radio and stuff like that like i thought i probably had them at 41 maybe 42 wins Uh, but behind the scenes like there's a real number that i give dell the guy that that does stat keeping and he, he gives me his real number there for a long time, I would always give him weird numbers, and he didn't like it. So we give each other like a plus or minus three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, one season though, near the end, uh, the let's see, the first year of Jaeger, um, where they loaded up, right? So it was Demarcus Cousins, but they also brought in Ty Lawson, and 
Uh, they had Darren Collison. They brought the, the in Zach Randolph. Was that the Zach? No, Randolph, it was Carter it was here? after that. So um, they, I think it was during that season that they traded Zebo. But Zebo, uh, well, actually Zebo and um, Demarcus never played together. So that was when was, they brought in was, Harrison Barnes, right? Because Zebo no. was part of the Dallas trade to Harrison yes. Barnes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but Cousins and and Harrison Barnes never played together either. So this is before. So um, they brought in Matt Barnes. They brought in Omri Caspi. They brought him back. They had Rudy Gay still. Like, it was a good team. Uh, I think that's the year they brought in Aaron Aflalo. Uh, So you thought that, okay, like, this team could actually do something, right? They could actually snap the streak. And I told uh, this guy, Dell, I'm like, hey, I want to say uh, 38 wins. But this year I want a plus or minus eight, and he's like eight. That's not okay. That's like and I'm not like, even a prediction. That's like you're giving it such a like. You know yeah. how like sometimes like like now that like jobs are like required to list the salary range. It's like this could be fifty thousand dollars or one hundred and twenty five thousand. Like that's like <laughs> at that point that's like not even a prediction. I I agree, but my my uh, nuance to the conversation was this: that if they avoided drama, I think they can win forty six. If they don't avoid drama which this team never avoids drama, <laughs> they'll win 30. And sure enough, they could not avoid the drama. It spun out. Uh, they won, I think, 31. And uh, that's this season that, you know, we had the nightclub incident with uh, with Barnes and Cousins. Right. Um, Cousins gets traded midseason. Rudy Gay popped his Achilles. Uh, Matt Barnes got bought out. Omri Caspi got traded as part of the the Pelican steal, um, you know, they brought in Buddy Heald. They're right on the cusp. They actually came out. They traded Cousins on the day of the uh, the All-Star game. They traded him during the All-Star During the All-Star game, I yes. remember seeing, first of all, like, I was, because I was still on the Bulls beat at the time, and their, their West Coast California trip was early February. And so we were in Sacramento the day that, Vivek, I think, told uh, it was either Vivek or Vladi. It was somebody, you know, with the organization told Mark Stein on the record that they weren't shopping Demarcus. Was yeah somebody, and then a week later they trade him. I see the Woj tweets come out during the All Star game, like yeah. as the game was being played, and I remember seeing the footage. I was not there that year, but I remember seeing the footage of Demarcus sitting. The All Star game was in New Orleans too that year. I remember yep. Demarcus sitting down at the podium. And getting asked all these questions about New Orleans, and somebody's like, you know, he's like, what, what's going on? And then, like, a, whoever it was, a PR person, whispers in his ear. was Chris Clark, okay? The PR person was whispering in his ear, like, hey, by the way, you just got traded to New Orleans. And then Zed Marcus, like, he completely changed it. He's like, oh, I love New Orleans. It's a great city, great fan base. I'm really excited. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's actually, I'm pretty sure that happening that way is why the NBA moved the calendar so that the trade deadline happens a week before the All-Star game now, just so that they don't have that happen again. I, I totally agree. Yeah, I actually, I broke the story that he was getting his extension. And then after after he got, uh, like, they confirmed. Like, I had I had everybody confirmed. Like, it was a five-year, $211 million contract. Actually, this wasn't the rookie extension. This was the second one. Yeah, this was his next one. Yeah, and I had actually called... Um, I called Larry Kuhn uh, from ESPN and said, "Hey, yeah. man, I, I need to I need to know the exact number because I'm going to break this." And we went through the numbers. I, you know, go on the air, talk about it. Um, Demarcus confirms it. The team confirmed it. Everyone confirms that they're giving giving him an extension. 
But then he went out that, I think it was that night, and got a technical, which put him at 13 or 14. Then the next game, he went out and got two technicals and thrown out of the game. And the Kings came to the realization that even 200 and something million dollars wasn't going to stop him from being that guy. Uh-huh. And so that's when they, they made the, the decision to trade. And that whole entire trade is bizarre, too, because, you know, the whole famous line, Blotty says, I had a better deal two days ago. Um, so basically, they Maybe they trade. did, but that's not something you say as a GM on the record. Exactly, exactly. But Vladi was trying to be, like, upfront and honest. He was also trying to defend himself because it was the same team. He had a deal with uh, with the Pelicans— the day before for two first round picks not just one mm. and buddy healed and the deal became one first round pick and a second round pick uh because basically demarcus's agent had gone to the clippers and said hey look you're not trading for him no one's trading for him he's getting his extension in sacramento because he wouldn't have been eligible for the same extension somewhere else and so basically they, they said like look you're not trading for him and they said yes we are and so they went back to the Kings and said, hey, they're going to fight with us on this. So that's what he meant. They, he had to take a slightly lesser deal uh, to get to get Cousins to the Pelicans. Yeah, just wild. Like I've covered so I mean, I covered two full relocation attempts. Yeah. I've covered four separate front offices, Jeff Petrie, Pete D'Alessandro, um, Vlade Divots, and now where we are um, with, uh, with Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox. Um, I've covered nine head coaches. I don't even have a total on the players uh, that I've covered. But coming into this season, I can tell you that I, there have been multiple seasons in my career where the following year, like six, seven, or eight players are no longer in the league from the team the year before. No longer in the league. My first team, like Pujet or Antoine Wright, Luther Head, uh, Dante Green, Hassan Whiteside before he went you know, to Europe and came back. Um uh, Jermaine Taylor, like, like all of these, uh, they just never played again. Like none of them, except for Hassan came back in the league. And even Hassan was gone for a long time. Even Samuel D'Alembert that was on that team. I don't remember him lasting much more than a season after that. So many, many seasons I've covered where it's just been chaos and wild, but, um, I'm glad, I'm glad I made it to, to this, to where we are today. Um, so it, it, it's good. My, my story is it, it's unique and fun. And I'm 240 games under 500 coming into this season. <laughs> 240. I love that we like as like as beat writers. I I, need, I should go back and look at my my record as beat right. You know, because I had the I had the I had some my my Bulls teams were pretty good. They were like you know around 500. And then Portland has mostly been pretty good for most of the time because, like, they were always, you know, with Dame, they were, like, in the playoffs. The last two seasons probably completely tanked my record. I'll actually have to go through and and uh, and look at that. Uh, it's it's going to, like, the other, the other, the thing that's interesting, and I was actually just talking about this, like, a week ago with uh, Rasan Gathers, who is now the Blazers' head of PR, was with the Kings for a, a long time in that same role, but we were talking about kind of like his time in sack and just kind of how crazy it's going to, it is that they're going to, they, they are where they are now. They're going to make the playoffs and something he pointed out that I had not ever thought of, but I guess is probably true in retrospect. And I'm sure you can speak to this too. In all those years that the Kings missed the playoffs every year, 
they never tanked. There was never a year where they went into the season saying, hey, we know we're not going to be good. We're going to go in and try to get a top draft pick. They were always trying to be good. They were always trying to be competitive. They were always signing good players and spending money on the roster. And they were just so dysfunctional or the talent wasn't there or guys got hurt or whatever that they just were never able to make it happen. Yeah, it's funny. I talked to Harrison Barnes yesterday and he said it's it's not like we've been bad the whole time. Like we haven't had talent. He's right. like, we've had talent the whole time. That's probably the most disappointing thing about the streak and how it's continued and continued. There's even points where, I, in all honesty, the Kings didn't tank. And they did better in the lottery than they should have. And I feel like it was rewards for not tanking. This is 2018. Well, it's it's both. Like, so 2017, when they traded Cousins and those guys, like, they didn't just give in. They they kept playing. And they um, that's the year they were at number 11 uh, win. And, and But they were, like, right there. They were so close to the playoffs. Maybe they were 12. Um and when they traded Cousins and, and did all the other roster work, because it was a lot. I mean, they it was a bloodbath. Within, like, a couple of days, half the roster was gone. Um, but uh, but that season, they kept trying to win down the stretch, like, to show that, that Cousins wasn't the end-all, be-all, and they would be okay. They didn't they do weren't. what Portland is doing now. Exactly, exactly. So what happened that year, though, is that years before, they had traded Omri Caspi and a— lottery protected first round pick to uh the cleveland cavaliers for jj hickson and mm-hmm. that pick had never been conveyed so it was sitting there so that pick eventually had been traded to the chicago bulls and the bulls were going to get that first round pick right so it was like that year number I 11 well. or 12 yes so we get all the way down the wire they they dump cousins they fall apart down the end of the season and they finished eighth and got to keep the pick, and it became, I think, one or two seconds. That's what the Bulls ended up getting. That pick, which was, I think it was number eight, it jumps up to number three, but then we have the weird pick swap from when uh, Vlade traded Jason Thompson, Nick Stauskas, and someone else to um, to Philadelphia to dump $32 million bucks in salary. So it it went all the way down to uh, all the way up to three, and then fell back to five in the pick swap, which is where they drafted De'Aaron Fox. Right. So, yeah, and if you want to like the how many near misses this franchise has had, they also they got the tenth pick in uh, along with Buddy Hield for Demarcus Cousins. The tenth pick, if they would have just sat there and drafted Donovan Mitchell or Bam Adebayo. They were both sitting on the board. They would have been just perfectly fine, but they traded it for 15 and 20. Even if you go to 15 and 20, if they would have drafted John Collins at 15 instead of Justin Jackson, if they would have drafted OG Ananobi instead of Harry Giles at number 20, like this thing could have gone a different way so many different times, and it just never did. And Neil that, Olshay just it. had to go move up to get Zach Collins. He had to have him. Had to have him. Had yeah, to have him. as opposed to, again— he could have done the same thing. He could have had a John Collins who was 19 and OG Ananobi, which I think was 23 in that draft. Or like Bam. Those guys were sitting there. Yeah, yeah. Bam well, was like the 13th or 14th pick in that draft. Well, that, since he moved up to 10, yeah, he could have had any one. But he had all the same options the Kings had yes. because he had 15 and 20, and he traded them for 10, and he could have drafted Bam or Donovan Mitchell, whatever he wanted at that point, and 
you know, really found a star level player. And then, you know, you get the the second pick in 2018 and don't take Luca. And yeah, the, the second pick in 2018. And again, the Kings didn't tank. They were super young the previous year. So that's a year where they roll out. Um, they had drafted three first round picks in 2016 and then traded for Buddy Hield. Uh, and so then on top of that, in the 2017 draft, they had Fox, they had Justin Jackson, they had uh, Harry Giles. They also drafted Frank Mason in the early second. So they went all like blue bloods. And then they also brought over Bogdan Bogdanovich that year. So they had five rookies to go with four from the previous year and had nine first and second year players on the roster, which was crazy. Like if, uh, that's what Dave Yeager, like that was his second year. And then it was his third year where he turned things around and, and they won 39 games. And then I was up in Portland with you, the final game of the season where they had 40 games staring them in the face and uh and scored like 84 in the first half and then and then six blazers uh played in total including scalabissier and uh anthony simons and caleb swanigan and they beat the kings yeah r.i.p uh, caleb swanigan who was you know passed back and forth between the kings and the blazers um mm. lots of that over the years lots of uh yeah. players getting passed back and forth between the kings and the blazers that uh that that last game of that season was so funny because that was and i mean terry stotts insisted there's i mean he's obviously lying but he insisted that they were just resting dame and cj and all their guys and they were trying to game the lottery odds and what was funny about that was the team they were trying to avoid by only playing six guys and only playing their rookies simons basically hadn't played the whole year outside of garbage time that was the first time the whole season that he got actual real minutes and he went off for like 40. I think he had like 37 or 40 or something like that in that game. The team that the Blazers were doing that to do the standings manipulation thing to avoid was Oklahoma city who had swept them in the season series that season. And then they end up because Oklahoma, I forget what Oklahoma city did that day, but the standings ended up shaking out because like, you know, Basically, like, the Kings were still playing their guys because I think Dave Yeager probably knew that he was going to get fired the next day. But, because I remember you and I were talking about this at that time, but, like, the Kings played all their guys and they got up by, like, 30 at, the, at halftime. And then at halftime, Yeager pulled all his guys and started only playing his, you know, end-of-bench guys. And then Portland came back and won the game and accidentally ended up setting up the Oklahoma City matchup, which then set up the definitive moment of Dame's career with that shot to end the series. So like, accidentally, the Kings, Dave Yeager being petty and set, and pulling all his guys, ended up setting up that moment. Yeah, it was it was <laughs> bizarre. Like, like, living through all of those things. And I'll also tell you, like, Dave had a good understanding that he was not going to be there the next day. Right. So, and, and like, and his staff as well. Like, it was, it, like, that night was really, really strange to cover. Um, I got a phone call. I was sitting in, uh, having breakfast at the hotel I was at in Portland, like, confirming that Jaeger had been let go, that uh, they cleaned house with their media relations staff, that all of Jaeger's staff had been let go. Um, like, that was a really weird, spiteful season. And uh, that's where we had the whole Brandon Williams, uh, Dave Yeager battle the whole season and, like, all kinds of chaos behind the scenes. Uh, yeah, like, I've, I've seen 
uh, some really, really ugly, bloody seasons where things just go really bad and the chaos seeps in and it's just one thing after another. So, yeah. I, so again, let's talk I, about I'm glad actually, to make it. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about what you expect the Kings to be able to do in the playoffs because they're going to make the playoffs. But they also, like, I've been saying this for a couple weeks. If you look at the West, there's no Kevin Durant Warriors. There's no, you know, all the teams, even like some of the teams earlier in the season that were, you know, like like Memphis, obviously, like they might end up with the two seed, but like that, you know, they have their own issues with, you know, all, all kinds of stuff there. Denver, like Denver's probably the best team in the West, but like their defense, you know, there's still questions about. Phoenix, we don't, like Phoenix probably has the highest upside of anybody, but we don't know if like Durant and, and you know, their guys are going to be healthy. I feel like there is a world in which Phoenix or in which Sacramento makes the Western Conference Finals. Like I can see yeah, that existing. Uh, you know, like people have like pitched that they, you know, I, I'll, I'll just say this: like, I think the Kings can do all kinds of things in the playoffs. Uh, like first and foremost, I think they can lose in six games or lose in five games and in round one. I think they can get bounced. This is a team that has no experience at all. Like, Kevin Herter played in the playoffs last year. And the rest of the rotation, people are, oh, Harrison Barnes, you know, grizzled vet. He, he uh, you know, played for the Warriors and it won a ring. And, you know, Matthew Dellavedova, like, like, man, Harrison Barnes was in the playoffs seven years ago. Like, that's the last time he's in the playoffs. And, like, Matthew Dellavedova played in the ABL last year in in Australia. Like, these are not guys who like have this long history of being in the playoffs and leading teams like that's this team has zero experience so that can be a good thing it can also be a bad thing and so what i keep telling kings fans is this like i've covered this team forever this is the first good season it's the first positive season in in it more than a decade and a half just enjoy the ride just just embrace whatever happens you got built-in excuses if they get bounced in the first round. Their offense is epically good. Like, it's the greatest, like, offensive-rated team of all time. They have, like, a 118.9 offensive rating. They're an absolute joy to watch on the offensive end. But what we're seeing late in the season is teams throwing different looks and mucking up their offense. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm here for it. That's where I'm at, like... It would be great to say that this team could go to the Western Conference Finals. Um, that's fine. Like, I think they could. But I also think that they could get wiped out in the first round to a Golden State Warriors team that, you know, has been sandbagging all season long and could be much better than we think come playoff time. And who, like, literally every single player on their roster, well, all of their core group, has more playoff experience than the entire Sacramento Kings roster combined. That's that's really tough to go into a playoff series and, and know what you're going to do. And, like, it's the little things, right? So the Kings don't even get nationally televised games. They've right. got two nationally televised, one official TNT game this year. And if you're uh, if you watch a team that's in the playoffs all the time, who, who's good, who's on television all the time, who's on national television, you understand that, like, the veteran teams know that the timeouts can be anywhere from a minute and a half to two and a half minutes longer, right? So you have 
the veteran teams hanging out, sitting on the bench, having a little bit extra water, relaxing, chit-chatting. And then you look out and the young teams are standing on the court, like milling around with all this nervous energy. Well, the Kings are, are going to face that. They're, they're going to face things like just the little small things that you don't think about, about just how long the game is, about how everything feels like it's drawn out. And, you know, we'll even look at the game that they lost against Minnesota last night. Um, like they came into that night knowing that they had an opportunity to like quench the thirst of, of like tens of thousands of Kings fans and they felt it. And then you get into the first quarter and Kings fans haven't been here for so long that a minute into the game, the whole place goes silent. Like they didn't know what to do. And the feeling on the floor everywhere was like, Oh no, this isn't good. You know, the, the PA guys are trying to click in like the, you know, the, the drum beat, boom, boom, you know, right. so someone go defense, you know, they're trying to manufacture something because the place went dead silent and it was just eerie. And these are things that the Kings are learning every single step of the way this season. That's what I've enjoyed this season is that they continue to get better. They work harder than any team that I've ever seen. They practice more. Uh, they're so in tune with each other. They work tirelessly They're and, and they're taking baby steps the whole way. But Mike Brown hasn't stopped with like, Hey, we just want to get to the playoffs. Hey, let's just break the streak and all this stuff. They keep pushing on who and what they can be. And to me, it's re been really cool to watch because he has grown this team two or three standard seasons in one. And the fact that this team barely got together, like this is the first year of Malik Monk, of Kevin Herter, of um, uh, Keegan Murray, right? But then also you look at the rotation, Davion Mitchell was a rookie last year. Sabonis came over at the deadline and played like 15 games. Him and Fox only played like 14 games together. Trey Lyles came over. These are like the rotation guys. Like five of them, six of them haven't been together at all. And they've pulled this thing together and like been an offensive juggernaut. And so I don't know how this whole thing has worked out, but like Mike Brown's insistence that they keep pushing the envelope on who they can be is really intriguing to watch. And even like the win against the Knicks, he just lambasted his team, just unloaded on them after the win. And it was a huge win. I mean, the, the Kings came out, everyone said, oh, after the All-Star break, this is when the real basketball starts. I said it. They went 11 and two to start. They just ran everybody over, and that's why they're in the two seed. Uh, so, like these, all of these steps, though, I think it's really cool to watch because I think Mike Brown has actually set them up to be really good and really solid next season as well. I'm glad you brought up Mike Brown because when you talk about guys on the team basically not having any playoffs experience, the coach that they have, I mean, he was in Cleveland for all those years with LeBron, and those teams were like going to conference finals and stuff every year, and then he was with Steve Kerr and Golden State for a long time, and those teams were making deep playoff runs every year. So at the very least, they have a coach that has been there before and can tell guys kind of what to expect and kind of try to prepare them for whatever he needs to prepare them for. I wonder if that's going to actually play into it at all. Yeah, I mean, Mike Brown is overly prepared, um, and he's got a great staff. You know, he's talked about it many times. Like, Jordy Fernandez will be a head coach in this league, and he'll probably be a head coach this summer. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks were totally interested, and there's a good chance that he's a guy who jumps up 
Um, I, I don't know that Jay Triano is a guy at like 64, 65. It's going to go and take another head coaching job. But the rest of this group is is really bright. Um, their scouting reports are intense. Uh, they're really a tight-knit group. Like, there's a lot of crazy ties. Uh, like, Luke Laux um, worked as an assistant with Mike Brown or, you know, a scouting uh, a player development coach with Mike Brown at Golden State. Um, he, uh, Luke Laux, uh, also worked with Rose Caldwell, who is De'Aaron Fox's new wife. Uh, when she she worked for the Warriors as like a understudy player development coach mm-hmm. um, under Mike Brown and under Luke Laux. Uh, Luke Laux and Davidis, I can't remember how to say his last name, they played together at Florida State. Uh, their wives are best friends. They all met in college. They're all like, we have this weird thing with the coaching staff where all of them have babies. All of, Like you go to a pregame and there's literally like 12 babies. At, at mm-hmm. like three years and under they all go to the same daycare together they have this real cool support staff for their support staff which is their wives their their wives have all these support staffs uh you know with each other like there's this really cool vibe with this group and i think mike brown's done a tremendous job he he's a coach that's coach stars for sure you know he's got on his resume he started with tim duncan manu ginobili tony parker he moved on to LeBron James. Um, and while he doesn't get any credit for the LeBron James era, like, look, there were many seasons where, like, Mo Williams was the best player yeah. outside of the LeBron James. He won coach of the where, year one of those years. Yeah, and he deserved it, you know. And, and then you get to his later career where he, you know, he moves on to coach the, the Lakers for a short stint with, with Powell and Kobe. Um, you know, then he goes to the Warriors and is a lead assistant for six seasons where he's coaching, you know, some of the greats of the game, you know, and, and one of the great teams that we've seen. But again, Steph. So I think what's cool about his path is that he's coached like superstars, but he's also coached the other guys. And he came into Sacramento with a 616 win percentage overall career wise, which is incredible. And he put that on the line to go to Sacramento where every coach gets fired after two years. And here he is with right around like a 6-12 win percentage in Sacramento. Like who knew that that was even possible to turn a team around this quickly? And a lot of it is on him. It's on his positive message, his buy-in. We've seen guys waver here, like one or two guys like have some struggles and you can see that they're fighting their role. But that's it. Like no blowups, no no drama at all, and that's how this team has you know stayed in it. They've been healthy, and I think that I'll attribute that to the training staff. I'll attribute it to the players coming to the season ready. I'll also attribute it to guys actually playing the game of basketball all season long. They practice hard. They practice nonstop. Um, they again, I've covered this team forever. I've never had to go to you know a seven game road trip they came back from a seven day game road trip on a wednesday we had practice on a thursday like the next day we had practice this team practices more and i think that they are in game shape where a lot of teams by resting players by sitting out guys they just they're not built like you know the the latrell spreewells of the world who went out and averaged 82 games a year for a decade and and played 42 minutes a night like that era is gone, but I see the, a lot of that 
in this current roster with the Kings. Their health is because they work hard, because they prepare, and because they fight through injuries. The Demonis Sabonis hand injury. Uh, Keegan Murray had a similar hand injury. But, I mean, these guys just keep going out and playing. And so, yeah, it's, it's been it's been a good year. There's, I mean, they're a, I mean, I, I call them a good vibes team too, because I'm looking, so uh, as somebody who is going to have no rooting interest in the playoffs this year, or really most years, but this year, if you look at all, like all of the teams in the Western conference, you look at like people who aren't fans of that team are going to fight. You know, there are some of these teams that people who aren't fans of that team are going to dislike. People don't like the nuggets because of whatever weird Jokic MVP discourse there is. People don't like the Grizzlies. I mean, even before the Jaw stuff, like people don't like them because of Dylan Brooks and because they talk a lot. People don't like Phoenix because it's like, oh, KD just went to another super team. People don't like the or Clippers Chris Paul. for kind of, or Chris Paul. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. People don't yeah. like the Clippers for the same reason because it's like, oh, it's this soulless super team with Paul George and Kawhi, and like it's all this like they're like the lightning rod of like the load management debate. People obviously don't like the Warriors for because they're a dynasty. People don't like the Lakers obviously because they're the Lakers. Every single person who's not a Kings fan, if the Kings were to make the Western Conference Finals, everybody would be like, hey, cool, good for them. I'm happy for them. I think so. Like, I, I believe, like, what you talk about the vibe, right? Again, like, a, a lot of that's Mike Brown. He instilled, like, this cool, like, accountability culture that the Kings have been lacking and that De'Aaron Fox was begging for. Like, please get us an accountability guy. Um, but, like, covering Demonis Sabonis is a joy. Like, that dude is one of the great, like, hard-hat lunch pill workers we've ever seen. What he does on a nightly basis now, there's no flash, there's no glitz, there's no glamour. He goes out there, and he almost has a triple-double every single night. He's got, what, 12 triple-doubles on the season, but if you go in and look at how many times he's got nine rebounds or nine assists— um, it's more like another 16 games where he almost has a triple-double. And it, it's really, really crazy, but the the team feeds off of that, that like, workhorse mentality that he brings. And then you have the addition of Malik Monk, which Monk has been, he's a little high, high and low. Like, he's, he's had a roller coaster season, but at the same time, bringing him in and pairing him with Fox and giving Fox that college friend they're still super close um it, it's really opened up fox it, it's given him a different support system than he had before and i think it's a big reason why we've seen him take off and just be like absolutely spectacular but you have all of these pieces you know kevin herder's a, a good spirit comes in fun guy trey lyles is super quiet but always has a book in his hand and you know these guys are like they have good conversations together they're a fun group to be around. They like each other. There is no dissension. They're, you know, they they don't have enough talent, I, I I think, to win it all. But they can get as far as they can get by by pulling together and staying together. Where a lot of teams, they don't have that. There is no dissension amongst the ranks with the Kings, and and you again, it's about vibes. Like you can see it. You walk into the practice facility and. Again, their shoot-around start at, at 10 o'clock like everybody else, and we're supposed to be there by 10.45 because that's when a normal shoot-around would end. And we get let in the door at 11.15, an extra half hour on shoot-arounds almost every single game. This team works. 
but you walk in and you can feel the vibe of the day. So whether they're locked in or whether they're loose, not once have I walked in and thought, ah, this team looks nervous at all. Like they don't have that at all. They're fun. They're messing with each other. They're having a good time. Uh, Yeah, this is like, if anything, avoiding the drama for me has been one of the funnest aspects to this team because I've just seen so much trash. It seems like they've hit like the exact right balance between like you were talking about like Mike Brown like pushes them hard and they practice a lot, but it's not a Tibbs thing where like it's going to wear guys out and it's going to be detrimental to them. Or, but then they also like they brought in Malik Monk partly because he was De'Aaron Fox's college buddy, but it's also not this like players run the organization and there's no accountability. Like they've kind of hit like the exact right sweet spot in the middle of like how to run their operation, I feel like. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, again, Monty McNair, who got an extension, him and Wes Wilcox got extensions midseason. Mm-hmm. Even Monty and West, like, they, they almost work as, like, co-general managers in almost every aspect. One of them, like, it, you know, clearly Monty's the analytics guy. And then Wes is the guy who's got the experience around the league and who's helped, like, establish, you know, sort of the day-to-day operations of their of their corporate staff, like their, their basketball side staff. So it's like a really interesting group to have together where these guys, I I think that they, they mesh well together and then the players mesh well together. Um, Again, I, I, they're not done. They've got more to build here. And like, you can clearly see the holes in this roster, especially when you go up against a team like Minnesota, who is like, you know, every guy on the roster has like a plus seven, wingspan uh to height ratio and and the king's struggle with length and and all that stuff but um but at the end of the day like you know you don't know how things are going to work out until you put it together you piece it together and uh so far so good uh you know this team is really they've done a nice job of like like it's a lot of kumbaya moments right and so it's good and and the other thing i'll bring up too outside of harrison barnes who's 30 uh della vadova is like 33 Mm everyone else on this team is like 24 years old 26 years old like so like davion mitchell and herder and fox and uh and monk they're all like 24 25 sabonis is 26 keegan keegan murray even is an old rookie at 22 like the group they're all going through the same exact life experiences together uh sabonis his wife had a baby at the end of last season De'Aaron Fox's wife had a baby just uh, like right at the All-Star break. Sabonis's wife is pregnant again. Uh, Harrison Barnes has like a one and a half year old. So like they're all around the same point in life. And I, it's it's kind of cool because this group has an ability to be good now, but also to grow together and even get better, especially on the defensive end where they're horrible. But if you can put a team together that in year one with all of these pieces – has the highest offensive rating of all time, then you might have an opportunity to grow something pretty special. So what's the scope, you know, going on to that, just right before I let you go, what is, you said like, you know, they're growing together, but also like there's still work to be done on this roster. What's the next thing that they do? Like what, what are, what do you think is going to happen this summer? Like in terms of like, what's the last piece they need to bring in? You don't have to go specific players, obviously, because that gets into territory of like, you get aggregated for saying something. I, you know, we, we all get that all the time as reporters. Yeah, yeah. But like, what's the next thing that, that needs to happen for them to really become a contender? 
Yeah, I think what they did at the trade deadline, so there was like a list of players that we heard that the Kings were interested in or in on. You know, guys like uh, veterans like, um, I don't know, like Mason Plumley that, you know, again, I, I thought would be a great fit because he worked in Jay Toriano's system in Charlotte last year and uh, just sort of that veteran backup center. They've had some issues at the backup center position throughout the season. Chemezi Metu has held it down for most of the last couple of months, but even like last night, uh, Mike Brown chose to go after after playing Alex Lynn 58 minutes the entire season in one of the biggest games in the last you know two decades for the Kings. He decided to go back to Alex Lynn, which I thought was interesting. So the backup center position, I think, is still something that they will look at. They have Namias Keda, who's a two-way player who is a gigantic human being, like 7'1", like 265, 270, uh, who's done really, really well in the G League this year. Um, but there just wasn't really that opportunity to hand guys, oper- you know, like minutes at the at the parent club level um, because they've been so good. Um, so I think that's one big thing. But again, like we talked about, like these player archetypes that they were looking at, uh, there are rumors of Darius Baisley, like they had interest in Darius Baisley that they had interest in Matisse Thibel. Like I, I heard that they were really close to getting Matisse Thibel before he landed in Portland. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these different players that are, are basically long athletic three fours. And they were able to go out and get uh, Kessler Edwards at the deadline, which in all on, I, it was more of a, a salary dump for the nets. Uh, the Kings got, you know, they got paid to take on a player. Um, so, the Nets could save a bunch of luxury tax dollar. And uh, Kessler has actually played really well. Um, But I I look at him as, again, a player archetype. So, like, you bring in a long, athletic, six-foot-eight guy with a seven-foot-one, seven-foot-two wingspan and who's known for his defense. And basically, they replaced Casey Akpala, who has those same types of measurements but couldn't really develop his offensive game. And, uh, and so I, I think they've kind of plugged in a guy to see what that looks like with the rest of the crew for next season. And whether that's Kessler getting another shot to, to you know, work the whole summer with this group and maybe become more of an offensive weapon, more part of their system, or if they go out and look for that player in free agency, a guy like Jeremy Grant, right? That six foot eight, long athletic guy that can shoot the three a little bit, that can defend, that can maybe block a couple of shots. Like that's what this team needs. Uh, so I, I would say their their two primary like attacks this summer will be like to sure up the the backup center position. Uh, Harrison Barnes is a free agent. Um, you know they've got they do have a couple of other free agents like Terrence Davis, Alex Len, uh, Trey Lyles are all free agents at the end of the year. Um, they also have had lots of talks with Sasha Vizenkov, um, who's <coughs> excuse me who's sharing it up in Greece and is probably going to be the EuroLeague MVP. Uh, and the Kings are hoping to bring him over this season. Um, so, like, you can see these pieces that they're looking at, but that even if you bring over Vazenkov, that doesn't mean that you don't need this long athletic-type player or mm-hmm. that, that defensive-minded center that they're going to go out and look for to take him to another level. But it's mostly you're talking about, like, 
supporting guys. Like they they like they feel like the Fox Sabonis, like as like the core, you know, the the main guys. They feel pretty solid with that. They're not looking at like making a big swing and getting in another. Like like the Sabonis thing was kind of that that move for them already. I think it was that move, but I don't think that they're gonna restrict themselves and say that we can't take another big move. If there's a way to go get, just like to throw a player name out there if og ananobi becomes available that's who and the kings know that they're going to struggle to retain or that there could be a struggle i think you know again harrison barnes uh a year well at the end of last year versus harrison barnes today is two totally different things i think there was a point where you thought that there would be no way for harrison barnes to come back and and then you got good and you couldn't trade harrison barnes because he means so much as like your veteran guy um, so they couldn't trade him during the season. There's still a possibility they lose Harrison, but this has been a really good season. It's been a it, it's a feel good story, but it's also like a redemption story and like a lot of guys in there. They just they all love each other. They get along. So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Harrison came back, but they still need another. They still need another three four combo to go with uh, Keegan Murray. Even if you bring in uh, Sasha that's going to be more like a replacement for Trey Lyles and it would be like the guy that we're talking about. And so you not only have to find that player, but you have to find minutes for that player. So if they were to lose Harrison or, or they, they understood that there's a good possibility they're going to lose Harrison. Um, and there's any way that a guy like OG came up for a potential trade. that's someone that I think the Kings would throw the kitchen sink at just because he has an ability to change your entire defensive culture. Mm-hmm. and he still fits into the offensive set. And, and so I, I think he's a guy that really could help them take a monumental leap forward and be, like, they're going to be a three seed. They're going to, I think, like, for all intent purpose, purposes, they're, like, they have it locked up. Like, I don't think that they're going to get up to two, uh, especially with the loss to Minnesota. They've got three games here in a row that they can win, uh, again, with your Blazers twice and then the, uh, the Spurs on the back end of that, back at home. Mm-hmm. So the chance of this team winning 48 wins and the next getting up to 48 wins in the next three games is, is high. And then we'll see how they finish the last couple of games and whether they can get to 50 or not. But to take that next step, you know that you're going to have to get better defensively and you're going to have to find better defensive players uh, and, and to build around. And so uh, there's a possibility that, that that means taking another big hack. Yeah, well... I'm very interested to see how it plays out. I'm very interested in what the Kings look like in the playoffs. I think there's a chance they could do some stuff in the playoffs, especially with how much quote-unquote parody, a.k.a. just like mediocrity there is in the <laughs> West. Uh, but it's going to be—I it, agree with you. It's one of the cooler stories in the league, it, it, not even just from the standpoint of, oh, this franchise hasn't done anything in almost 20 years, and now they're good again. Like, it's not even just that. It's— it's a cool team. It's good. Like, it's all good guys. Like, I'm happy for Mike Brown that he's getting to, you know, finally get credit for the kind of coach that he's been for a long time. Like, it's just a cool story just on, across the board on all levels. And, James, obviously you do as good a job as anybody covering it. Tell people where they can find the Kings beat, which is similar, yeah. by the way, to what I'm doing. It's like the exact – it's like one of the – it's like pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Sean and I, we got together, uh, like – coming into the season and the whole beehive thing, uh, which it's, it's yeah, you great. put me like onto new- that. Yeah. A newsletter. It's, uh, it's spectacular. I've been at the Kings beat for, I've had it for about a year and a half. 
uh-huh. after working the last six years for NBC, uh, worked for ESPN, NBA.com, like all kinds of different outlets over the course of my career. But um, uh, the King's Beat is mine, and it's really cool, and it's mm-hmm. something that, like, you guys have seen with Sean. It's like an organic thing yeah. um, where we build a community and we grow in different ways. Um, I also uh, am on the radio. I have a, a, a show three days a week on – um, ESPN 1320 here in Sacramento. And so that's really cool. Um, and, uh, you can find me on Twitter. I, I do a, a lot of, a lot of stuff on Twitter at James underscore ham NBA, um, including my six quick thoughts, which seems to be like the most popular thing that I do because no one wants to read a game recap anymore. Right. Uh, because they, I've stopped all of you, <laughs> all of us have the attention span of a gnat at this point. And so, uh, those are basically uh, a game recap, but in Twitter form. And yeah. uh, so you can find those on Twitter. Um, and yeah, like video, uh, the podcast, the kingsbeat.com, um, the Kingsbeat YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, we podcast twice a week. I've got two other journalists that uh, cover the team full time. And we have a really, really strong podcast. It's growing and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, and. During this playoff run, James is the guy you want to be following to, for Kings coverage. He does it better than anybody. And uh, James, thanks a lot for agreeing to do this. This was this was awesome. Yeah, anytime, Sean. Yeah, I, I love going on pods and and chatting Kings basketball. I'm mm-hmm. like the historical guy at this point. I'm I'm the <laughs> oldest guy on the beat, and I feel old. Like back <laughs> surgeries calling, and like everything else. Like this job takes its toll on you. But uh, mm-hmm. I'm finally get to get to see it through it's it's been yeah. this will be like the crowning achievement of my my career so far so i'm i'm happy to to cover a team that's actually uh isn't drama filled and chaos and trying to relocate and doing stupid things all the time yeah all right, i'll talk to you soon man awesome